Okay, our, our speaker this evening is um, Jacob Evans. If you've been around Maryville for more than 10 years or so, you, you probably have heard his name, you're familiar with him, he used to uh, be kind of local. And so we're, we're honored and thrilled, Jacob, to have you here tonight to speak to us as one of our speakers in the month of June. By way of introduction, Jacob is a three-time graduate of Freed Hardeman, and I didn't know that you had that many degrees. He has a BA, an MN, an MDiv, and an MDiv, and I think I messed that up. Anyway, he has three degrees from Freed Hardeman. Um, he is the preaching minister at Pulaski Street Church of Christ in Lawrenceburg, Tennessee. By way of connecting the dots, Jacob and Todd Heim have uh, co-hosted, if that's the right word, the uh, week two of the, of the uh, Teenage Christian Camp since 2015. So he's familiar with our congregation, he's familiar with our, our, our teenagers, and so he's familiar very much with our work. Jacob and his wife Brittany have one daughter, Reese, who is 11, and two sons, Chapman, eight, and Ford, four. Now, uh, welcome uh, you to be our speaker tonight. Thank you. Oh, good to see all of you tonight. Um, it's funny, Travis, he, um, he, he's, uh, he's been great, guys. I mean, he's, he's an awesome guy. Uh, he really took care of me, making sure we had all our logistics down. And, uh, but it hit him yesterday. He, I guess he looked at you know, exactly where is he coming from? And he started looking at the mileage, and he's like, man, I, he goes, you're like a four-hour drive away right now, you know? And I said, I am. I, and and I, he, you could tell just in his typing, he was worried, because he's like, I haven't offered you a place to stay. I haven't, you know, I've done none of that. I mean, I'm, I've dropped the ball. I said, worry not, man, you know? Barry called me, I think, within a few days of learning that, this was going down and invited me to stay with him, uh, Barry and Peggy, back in, that's going to be 2003, 2004. Uh, we, uh, we did a little uh, gathering at their house on a weekly basis, and I would, I would spend some time with college-age kids from, you know, from the various colleges around here and got to know Barry and Peggy. And if, uh, if you don't love Barry and Peggy, something is really, really wrong with you, you know? Um, and of course, I, it, it hurt to hear about Peggy's passing and I sent some condolences to Barry. But one of the other things that connected us recently that was just, you know, interesting was um, one of the guys that was coming to this college age gathering was Gary Bowling. And I don't know if you know Gary, many of you probably remember Gary. Gary was not college age. Gary was probably in his 60s. But we just said, hey, you come on, you just be a part of this group, and just became friends and all of that. And, uh, and I, I'll tell you, I got, I got a lump in my throat. Uh, Barry calls me, tells me about Gary's passing, and says, we're reading through the will, and we got a little shocked by a name that was mentioned in the will. Your name was mentioned in Gary's will. And Gary bequeathed to me his entire library of books. And so um, something I got to do tomorrow is, and this worked out, I'm going to go over to Gary's house, make my way through there, and, uh, and, and I guess just kind of uh, sift through the books. And uh, I'm going to try to put as many as I can in the back of a truck. That's about all I'll get. And I will recommend that the others, you know, get filtered out somewhere close by. But um, that, was pretty, that was pretty awesome. That's not something that hap happens every day. Um, and then I've got several of my, my green back ends here, um, you know, uh, from 2006 when we planted the church there until, until 2015, uh, you know, I, I preached a lot there and I'm sure they're like, yeah, there were days where we thought you'd never stop preaching, but, <laughs> it, um, but you, um, they're, they're wonderful. Uh, they've been so good to me and. So you're going to see, you might see some different faces tonight, but just know those are brothers and sisters in Christ from about 12, 15 miles away that are worshiping, and uh, so it's good to have them here. Uh, so here is, as you can see, what we're going to deal with tonight, and, and I, um, I, I, I talked with 
talked with Travis and said, hey, this is kind of where I'm wanting to go with this. Um, in fact, it's probably been, time flies, doesn't it? It's been seven years since I left Greenback. I can't believe it. Um, but um, I had a chance to come back to Greenback and preach on some evangelism. And one of the topics that Jonathan, who is here, had given me, I've developed that some more. And, um, and I thought, you know, when you, when you throw courage at me and confidence at me, um, you know, I want to I wanna deal with what I think are some real practical concerns in reaching out to others. And, and that is um, that sort of internal barrier of, of fear or anxiety that we have when it comes to taking something that means a lot to us and sharing it with somebody who maybe we perceive doesn't care a whole lot about it right now. You know, that can cause us some, some problems. But let's, let's start with this. If, if we are convinced that the gospel or good news is true, shouldn't that conviction fuel our courage and our confidence in sharing the good news with others? You know, if, if I am persuaded, you know, if I am absolutely convinced that some 2,000 years ago, Jesus of Nazareth took my place took everyone's place, in fact, on the cross. That, he, that he, um, he died in order to deal with the sin problem and, uh, and to be able to offer us forgiveness of sins. And that he was raised to deal with another problem we have. I don't know if, if you're familiar with this problem. You should be. The death problem, right? Um, that's one of the things we're all facing. Unless, unless Jesus comes back, one of the things we, we should know by now is that we're not living here forever. And one of the things that Jesus' resurrection dealt with was the death problem, and, and it ensured our respective resurrections one day. And I'm like, if, we're, if we are convinced, if we are persuaded that that is what reality is, that that's the deal, that he came to rescue us, and, and save us and deliver us, and that this is a rescue or deliverance that is in fact open to everybody, then shouldn't that fuel our courage and our conviction and our confidence, right, in sharing the gospel with other people? And I think the answer to that is absolutely yes. Well, let's flip it. Let's flip that sentiment, okay? If... Um, if I lack courage and confidence in sharing the gospel with others, does that necessarily mean that I don't believe the gospel is true? Let me say it again. If, if I lack courage and confidence in sharing the gospel with other people, does that necessarily mean that I don't believe the gospel's true? I would say no. Now, it could mean that, right? I mean, one of the reasons why somebody may not have the courage or the confidence to share it is because they're not fully sold on it or they don't really believe it, you know, that there is a lack of conviction there. That is absolutely a possibility. But I think you and I realize that there are other variables, there, there are other factors, there's some other things that can get in here that can, um, you know, prevent us or serve as obstacles in sharing the gospel with other people. So let's, let's ask that sort of general question here. Um, why do we struggle with this? Uh, your, your first lesson dealt with why the gospel matters. I think Jesse was here for that. And then last week, I believe the lesson, and I think it's a really good focus, is the idea of everyday evangelism, that we ought to make this a natural part of our life as best we can, okay? Uh, I, I certainly, certainly believe in that, but kind of what I want to focus on here, and we'll, we'll boil this down some more, but let's open with this. Why, why do we struggle here, okay? Besides a lack of conviction in some cases. 
Well, I had a class that I did at, at Pulaski Street a few years ago. I think, I'm pretty sure it was pre-pandemic, by the way. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm just, I hated COVID. Anybody else hate COVID? I just hated it um, for all kinds of reasons. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, we, uh, you, you might be looking around on Sunday mornings and like there were people that used to be here all the time that I don't see anymore. You know, we got those people and, and it's frustrating and it hurts a little bit. You do what you can to try to awaken them, reawaken them to what, what's important. Um, but we were in a class, and, and I, so I was getting a lot of feedback from people. And I was like, let's populate a list of why people struggle, okay? Uh, we had lack of motivation. It's pretty general, but for one reason or another, some people just aren't motivated to do it. You'd like to think they, got, they should be able to draw on many different motivations to share the gospel, but some people just lack that. Um, some are confused or unsure about what sharing the gospel entails. They're not, they, they, you know, they're like, I know, but I don't, I don't know what to say. They feel maybe, they feel ill-equipped to do it. All right, so there's that. Uh, some, uh, one person said, a failure to see people like God sees people. What do you think about that? I think that's a pretty powerful one, you know. As, you know, you're like, he, he did what? He died for everybody like every human being i've ever come in contact with even the ones that were really mean to me and the ones that i just didn't like very much he died for everybody man what that means he loves us and then we sit around here and and we go ah but many of us are seemingly unlovable but yet he 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 died for us right he must, he must see us in ways that we struggle to see one another. I thought that was pretty insightful. Um, viewing the preacher as one's proxy. All right, what's, what is that? That is the idea. Uh, we go to such and such church and we, have, uh, we pay a guy to do our evangelism for us. It's wonderful. Come on out and be a part of this. You know, uh, It just really lets us all off the hook. You know, we just, that's, that's the guy that's going to do it all. In many ways, the preacher's job is to help equip everyone to go out and share the gospel. Um, uh, because, again, you've you got circles of influence I don't have, you know, that, that you've got circles of influence Travis doesn't have or Jonathan doesn't have at Greenback, you know. That, it's like you can't be everywhere, you know, and I can't have the same kind of relationship with everyone like you do. And so I need you to be light, right? I need you to be salt. Um, what about this, the private, privatization of faith in our culture? This is one that came up. I thought it was kind of interesting. It's the, the idea of compartmentalization. You know, our culture really wants us to privatize faith, right? Like, hey, hey, that's, that's good for you. Just don't talk about it, right? Just keep it to yourself. Uh, we don't need that. We don't need that seeping into the school system. We don't need that seeping into universities. We don't need that seeping, you know, we, we need to, let's privatize this. And so that's another problem we have. Um, we feel uneasy, we feel awkward, we feel weird about talking religion with, with others. Um, we feel disconnected from, from non-Christians. You know, maybe, we, maybe we've just sort of inadvertently or unconsciously become sort of a a monk, you know, we, we only stick with those who are like-minded and we only, we only befriend those who share the same kind of faith with me and, and, and you're like, I just don't really know anybody that's not a Christian. And so some people are like, the reason why, reason why I'm not sharing the gospel with anybody is because everybody I'm around just about all the time has already accepted the gospel, you know? So that could be one thing. Um, maybe... <laughs> Let's just call a spade a spade. For some people, it's just selfish. There's a, an apathy, an indifference to them. So that's why they don't share it. Uh, some, they're cynical and they're skeptical. And this is one we could really dive into for a long time. We don't, we're not going to do it, but cynical and skeptical. Um, we, just, we just like, 
I got something here that I know is really good, but I just, I just don't think anybody cares about it. I don't think it's, I, I just think they're going to think the gospel is outdated, that it's irrelevant, that there's just no sense in, in, in taking the time to share this with someone else. They're just very cynical about humanity, you know? Uh, and, and in some cases, uh, these folks have lost sight of just how really powerful the gospel is. They underestimate, right, that there are a lot of people. If they were to get an honest, you know, messenger who, who tells it clearly and compassionately and with love, that it would go into their heart, it would sink deep into their heart, and it would change them from the inside out. And we, gotta, we, we can't allow ourselves to get cynical here. We have to believe that the gospel always has power. Um, but then this is what we're going to focus on, some fears or anxieties. Because I, I just, I, this does, resonates with people because I, I hear these all the time. You know, um, these just come up. And so let's, let's think about this. I, before we do, I, I do want to show you this little congregational evangelism survey. There's a professor that when he goes around and he talks about evangelism, this is, is kind of what he, he offers the church to provide some answers to, either collectively or individually or through, through the leadership. And, you know, he's got some good questions here as you read through those. When he gets down to the bottom, he goes, what are one or two things that tend to hinder you from sharing your faith? And he has done this all over the country. He's, he has kind of collated just hundreds, maybe in the thousands of answers to what people have given as what hinders them, you know? And guess what is number one at the top of his list? Fear slash anxiety about something, okay? Fear, fears can be real, they can be imaginary, right? Um, fears can be small, they can be huge, they can have a merit, they can be unfounded, they can come in different shades. And when it comes to evangelism, it can manifest itself in a, in a few different ways. So let's just walk through these, and, um, and I'm going to provide some, some perspective on them. And, and it's possible, uh, I'm not going to be shocked, that you may come up to me after this and go, you got me. You know, that, that was the one right there, okay? So here's, um, here's the first one. Fear of rejection. Um, I don't know of anybody that likes to feel the sting of rejection. Um, when someone rejects what we are trying to say, it is hard not to take it personal. We beat ourselves up. One of the things I think that might help us here is that in evangelism, we all we ought to see that ultimately the one who's being rejected is not us, but Christ. It's God. I mean, it's like if anybody, if anybody wants to take it personal, the rejection, it should be God, <laughs> right? I mean, because you're, you're the messenger. You're sharing with them a message of hope, a message of salvation, a message of life, true life. You know, not just, not just about life in the future, but life here and now. It's got huge ramifications for life here and now. Christian, the way, as it's called in Acts, it, it does. And you got this message that, that you're wanting to share with them. And, and you're the messenger, and they don't accept it, or they push back on it or they pr procrastinate and really come into a decision about it or whatever. And in those times, we, 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 we don't like the feeling of not, you know, of, of not being accepted. Um, but understand that the primary focus of rejection is ultimately Christ. And he's big enough to handle it. He can. And furthermore, 
one of the, I think, most astounding sources of joy in the early church. Here's where we could use a really big perspective shift. One of the most astounding sources of joy in the early church among the apostles was when they were rejected or persecuted for their faith or for their message. And you're like, now that's weird. But let me give you a passage. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. The early church felt a solidarity with Jesus that they couldn't really feel in other ways. Uh, but when they, were, when they were persecuted, when they were rejected, they felt this like solidarity with Christ who was what? Also rejected and also persecuted. And you got these people like, go, go back and read whenever Peter and the apostles, after they got beaten for preaching the gospel and were released, they didn't, they didn't walk away sad, licking their wounds and talking about giving up. It says they left rejoicing. Maybe, maybe that we uh, could stand to recapture that perspective. Because we don't, I don't know, I don't know about you, but it, it's real easy to just be a kind of a flabby Christian today. Uh, but these guys were anything but that. I might also say this too when it comes to rejection, that many of us don't share our faith because um, we're afraid that it, it's going to lead to the loss of a friendship. Maybe we've made a friend with somebody who we know has never obeyed the gospel, who's lost or whatever, but we, we come to this place where we feel like ah, if, I, if I interject at some point the gospel, this relationship's going to change, and I don't want it to change, and so I, we, we clam up. But at some point, we've got to get around to reminding ourselves that sharing the gospel with a lost friend is worth the risk of losing that friend. That's how important this is. I'm not saying that's easy, but I am saying that's the reality. Uh, here's the second thing, fear of ridicule. I feel like this one is, um, is really ramping up in our culture. Uh, for, for Christians, and part of that is, I um, hope this isn't a newsflash to you, but, you know, there, there is a sort of a growing animosity towards Christians, a growing um, ostracism, maligning. I mean, I'm sure it's, it's always been around, but man, it just, yeah, I think many of us have kind of felt that, that sort of movement where more and more often Christians are being demonized in the public square, you know? And maybe, maybe after you can correct me on that, but that's just kind of one of those sentiments I have. And so many of us fear being ridiculed. We, we fear being perceived in a certain way. Uh, one of the reasons why maybe we refrain from being evangelistic is because we're afraid that we're going to be perceived as arrogant Oh, so you, you think you know what's really going on here, you know. Or that we are going to be perceived as being offensive or close-minded, you know, or fanatical or old-fashioned or uncool, disconnected from reality, you know. That if we're, we're like, eh, if, if somebody... If they find out that, that I'm a Christian that, and that I'm trying to share my faith with them in hopes of opening their eyes, you know, I, I, I'm afraid of how they might perceive me. It, it almost sounds like at times we're, we're ashamed 
of the gospel. Right? Should we be? I mean, do we know the gospel's true? Because this will help us here. I mean, if we know that this is reality and this is the deal, then that ought to really, really help us here in overcoming, overcoming this fear. By the way, I want you to just think for a moment about how Christ was perceived in his ministry. Did, did Christ always receive praises from people? Here's just a few things. He was considered to be a troublemaker. He was considered to be a charlatan. Uh, some people thought he was a lunatic. They did. He's, he's mad. I think he's got a demon, you know. They, they perceived him as a sinner, even. They perceived him as a blasphemer. And they perceived him as an insurrectionist. That last one was most laughable, but it got the job done. I think about in Matthew 9, verses 10 through 13. You remember this little episode? Uh, Jesus is having a meal. He's reclining at table with tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors are your outcasts, okay? Uh, most of the time in Palestine, they were fellow Jews who were working for the bad guys, the Romans. And it was also known that Rome had what they needed, but if the tax collector could get something over the top of that, they could keep that as their commission. So as you might imagine, some of their fellow Jews were willing to hike the prices a little bit, right? Pocket a little money. Think about Zacchaeus. He goes, if I have defrauded anyone, I mean, what is he doing? He's, he's telling us of something we know to be the case, that many tax collectors defrauded people. Um, but Jesus is eating with the tax collectors and the sinners. The Pharisees come by and ask the disciples, what is he doing? Why is he eating with tax collectors and sinners? Something the Pharisee wouldn't be caught dead doing, right? Pharisees often thought about external holiness. You know, the problem, like take the problem of lust, for instance. Um, Many of the Pharisees thought the problem was external. There was a sect of Pharisees known as the bruised and bleeding Pharisees. I don't know if you've ever heard about these guys. But if they were walking down the road and there was a woman approaching them, they would literally close their eyes. Because see, in their minds, the issue here was the object of their desire. It wasn't what? It wasn't the desire coming from here. So, so their thought, the way to prevent lust and all of this was, you just close your eyes, you look away, you look down, and you, you shut yourself off from the object of your desire. Unfortunately, on some occasions, they would walk right smack dab into a wall. And they'd bust their nose, they'd bust you know, their eyebrow or something, and that's why they became known as the bruised and bleeding Pharisees. Now, do you see, though, that if one of those guys walks by and Jesus is having a conversation with an adulterous woman, the perception's what? This guy is immoral. I mean, he is out of his mind to be spending time talking to this woman, you know? And Jesus, on this occasion, gives him some things to think about. And this is what Jesus does, and he's the best at it. He was the best at it. He, he goes, okay, one thing to consider is that, you know, uh, kind of looking at his role as a physician, does a physician go to right, you know, healthy people and help them, or does the physician go to sick people and help them? The clear answer is you go to sick people, okay? And then he goes, hey, go back, go back and look in your Bibles. Go back to Hosea where he says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. In other words, I desire mercy and compassion and treating people right in preference to sacrifice don't you just don't be bringing your sacrifices and worship to me but then meanwhile you're out here defrauding the widows and the and the orphans and the vulnerable people of this society and you're not treating people right i don't need your sacrifices they're an abhorrence to me why because I desire mercy and not sacrifice. It doesn't mean that you don't worship and you don't sacrifice. It's just you better be backing that stuff up with a good heart, right? 
And, and then the last thing, the last thing he says, you know, is that he is a, um, he's in the role of seeking and, and saving uh, the lost. And it makes sense that if, if he is in the business of bringing people to repentance, the righteous are not the people that do repenting. It's the ones that are living in sin that need to repent. So where else will I be except among those who need me? But see, he risked ridicule. He risked being maligned. He risked people spreading unfounded rumors about him in order to reach the people that needed him most. Here's another one, fear of failure. Um, I don't know if anybody likes to fail. I don't like to fail. I've never met somebody that's like, uh, hold on a second, I love it, you know, I love failing. I don't know of anybody like that. Um, and we, we, we don't like it or we fear it for a variety of reasons. We can fear failure because of how it reflects on us. We can fear it because we don't want to potentially push some way, somebody away further from the God. You know, we're trying to bring them in and we feel like if we don't do this just right, we're going to push them further and, and, as opposed to bringing them closer. Some fear because of a perfectionist disposition. I don't know any, any perfectionists in here. I'm a recovering perfectionist, okay? Um, it's not, a, it's not the, the best of existences, but, um, it, you know, you just... You just, you just don't like to fail. You, you got to always do the best. And the thing about evangelism is that there is always a risk of failure. Not necessarily because of the messenger. And not necessarily be, because of the message. But because of the recipient. I mean, there's one of Jesus' parables, often called the parable of the sower, I prefer parable of the soils. And, and that's because in that parable, he gives us four types of soil, which in turn represent four different types of hearts. Right? And so sometimes the, the sower's fine and the seed's fine, but what's not fine is the soil. Right? And so sometimes people don't accept what we're bringing because of their heart. And that kind of brings back the rejection thing, you know? I mean, there's kind of brings you full circle there a little bit, but we have to understand that yeah, there's always the risk of failure, but that ought not prevent us from, from sharing what we have. Finally, the fear of embarrassment. Um, some of us struggle because uh, this, this is the one that'll get you. I, I've heard this many times. What if somebody asks a question that I do not know the answer to. Um, it's going to be okay, right? This is when this is when you get to be. Are you ready for this? A human being, right? And you get to go. Okay, that's a really good question. I haven't ever thought about that before. That is. We, I'm going to have to look into that. And I, I will look into that, and, and I'll get back to you on that. You know, it doesn't. You know, we. I, I'm telling you, there's there's people that have used that. Uh, have you ever shared the gospel? No, man. Well, why? Because what if, you know, they ask me a question, I don't know the answer to. Ten years later, have you? And I didn't share the gospel. Well, why? Because what if, you know. <laughs> It's just a broken record. And sometimes people, people are preoccupied with the fact that their practice doesn't perfectly match their profession. And so they, they don't like the idea of maybe becoming vulnerable to some criticism. But then I remind you, right? We are human beings. And, and they're... There may always kind of be a gap. I'm not going to say like a gaping gap, but, you know, um, this is where we, we, we try to remind them of some really cool stuff like, I am not flawless. I am not, you know, perfect. I, I, I am 
trying to walk in the light, you know, my overall sort of, uh, you know, focus and direction is toward holiness and away from darkness and sin. I'm not saying I've got everything figured out and I'm not saying that, you know, I've, I've, that I'm, I never sin or, or ever fall short or whatever, or drop the ball. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that I am forgiven because Jesus is that incredible. His blood is that powerful. Um, you know, you've, you've heard this. I'm sure somebody said it here, and you'll hear it again after me. But it's a thought that I, I like, that the church right, is a hospital for forgiven sinners. It is not a museum for flawless saints. I love that because it's like, yeah, look at me, you know. I have arrived. I am flawless. I am, I am uh, you know, I've ascended to the whatever, highest tier of spirituality. And so come to church and, and look at me. You know, that is not what this is about. So, but having said that, I think we look at this and go, ah, those are real. I mean, those, those are things that people deal. I'm, I'm pointing at my screen, by the way. You know, you guys are looking at this one, all right? But those are things that we, we wrestle with. And so let's just look at some practical stuff, some perspectives, and some things that we can do to overcome these fears that threaten to steal our courage and, and, and stifle our confidence, okay? Uh, so here's, here's a few things. Uh, one, recognize that courage is not the absence of fear, but the mastery of fear. This is a really good perspective to have. Uh, in other words, the opposite, the opposite of cowardice is not fearlessness. Do you know what fearlessness means? Though? It means you don't have a tinge of fear. It's not, it's, it's non-existent. The opposite of cowardice is not fearlessness. The opposite, of, the opposite of cowardice is courage. And just because you experience fear does not mean you're a coward. Again, it means you are a human being. Feeling fear is inescapable in this life. Having some, some measure of anxiety, perhaps, and sharing the gospel is, is, we might say it, normal. But living in fear or being paralyzed by fear is a choice. What you do with that fear determines whether you're a coward or you're courageous. Adrian Rogers used to say, Courage is fear that has said its prayers. But then there's John Wayne. Who doesn't like John Wayne? My granddad was a huge John Wayne fan. Here is a, here's a little quote from, from John Wayne. Courage is being scared to death and saddling up anyway. That's, that's a good definition of courage. It's what you do with the fear you feel that makes the difference. So as long as we got it in our heads, well, I can't be courage, I can't be brave because I feel fear. If, if I was truly courageous and I was, and I was truly brave, then I wouldn't feel fear. Because isn't that what courage people, they don't feel fear. No, man. So many brave and courageous people in this world feel the fear. You know, we, we can probably go down the line of some incredible stories of war and, you know, war heroes and stuff. And I bet you if we sat them down and said, hey, man, did you, did you have any fear whatsoever? You know, uh, there may be a few that are crazy enough to say what and, and be truthful. No, I didn't feel anything. Man. You know, it's just, they're just, but, but most of them are going to tell you. I was scared. But I knew what I had to do. So I did it. Cling to the right perspective. Um, I've heard that fear in its most simplest form is a temporary loss of perspective. So 
Let me give you an example of this in Scripture. Numbers 13. Now, the context has nothing whatsoever to do with evangelism, okay? But, um, in some ways it has everything to do with evangelism. I mean, here's, here's what, what happens. You, you remember, right, you had the spies that go into, into the land to spy it out. You got 12 of them that, 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 that go over in there. And they, uh, what happens? Their fear, their fear stifles their faith, right? The object of their fear gets so much bigger than the object of their faith. Two of the guys, though, held on to the right perspective, right? Two of the guys, they get over there and they go, yeah, those are some massive dudes. I mean, those guys are freaks of nature. They are so big. They're like big old Hulk Hogan's, you know? And, and, and they, look pretty, they look pretty scary. But my God's a whole lot bigger than them. We're going to be okay, you know? Here's another thing. If you look back over the list of fears that we put up there, so many of them are self-focused, <laughs> right? Like they're, it's like, um, I don't want to be rejected. I don't want to be ridiculed. I don't want to fail. I don't want to be embarrassed. Y'all see, where's the focus at in all those fears? It's all like me. It's, it's all self-focus. The more other-oriented our thinking becomes, the less our fears are going to control us. I mean, think about that. You know, it, we can get so focused on ourselves, and when we do that, it is so easy for us to forget how much people need Christ and how much Christ desires a relationship with those people. I think this gives us at least one reason how Christ could have risen from his trembling prayers in the Garden of Gethsemane with a commitment to do the Father's will. He thought less about himself and more about us. And don't you think that drove him beyond whatever anxiety or hesitancy or fear that he had? And we got to do something similar when it comes to sharing the gospel. A third one, pray for boldness. Um, this is interesting to me. I think it's interesting to consider the fact that the apostles, the early church, viewed as a legitimate petition to God. Like you're in prayer to God and you're petitioning God for things. And what do we think of some legitimate petitions? We're like um, food, you know. Um, clothing, um, strength, um, patience. You know, we just go down the line. Well, early Christians thought, well, a legitimate prayer to God is to ask for boldness to speak the gospel to others. You remember Peter, Acts 4, Peter and John, you know, basically the Jewish rulership says, you guys are going to have to stop preaching. Okay, you're upsetting people. This is ridiculous. And of course they say, well, we're not going to do that. You know, <laughs> and they sternly warn them again and they let them go and they get back with their friends and their, and their padres and the apostles are there and then they have a prayer in Act, towards the end of Acts 4. And do you know what one of the things they prayed for at the end of Acts 4 was? That they would have the boldness to continue to speak the word of God. And then you read after their prayer that you get a little summation statement that they continue to boldly proclaim the gospel. Look at the end of Ephesians 6. Uh, we know Ephesians 6, the section about the armor of God, but then there's the battlefield communication. Down there at the end, that's prayer. You know what one of the things Paul prayed for? Paul prayed for boldness in preaching the gospel. You know, like, give me this inner strength to, to go out there and to, I'm not going to say fearlessly proclaim, but that, you know, confidently and courageously proclaim what people need to hear. Um, 
Realize that you're not alone. I know this is, um, this is seeing your life and your Christian walk through the eyes of faith. Um, but don't forget that after, you know, you, you get uh, uh, Christ's authority, at the end of Matthew 28, it's, I have all authority in heaven and on earth, is what he says. What does that mean? Well, that means he's in charge. Okay, that's what that means. He's the one that gets to tell us what to do. There's a lot of people who don't like to operate this way. Like, I don't want anybody telling me what to do, not even the God who created me. And furthermore, died to save me, right? But he goes, I've got all authority. And then he gives the, he gives the assignment. And what is the assignment? Make disciples. That's what the assignment is. As you go into the world, you make disciples. Well, what's that entail? Well, I'll tell you, baptizing them and then teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. I've heard some people say, well, you know, he, that assignment was given to the apostles and not us. Yeah, but it did say teaching them to observe what? All that I have commanded you. Well, guess what he just commanded them? Go and make disciples, right? But then after you got, you got the authority and you got that, that assignment there and then you got assurance, what does Jesus say at the end? And behold, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. I'm, I am with you in whatever you're doing, whatever task you're doing in my name, whatever sharing of the gospel that you're doing. And you know, it's kind of like if we could really buy into that, or buy into this, you know, that, and here's another, you know, another way we're not alone, don't you? We got each other, right? I mean, this was intentional. We are, we are better together than we ever are apart from one another. And we got to find strength and encouragement from one another. Sometimes we can find help. I mean, sometimes, yeah, sometimes the person you're trying to reach, you may not be the best person for the job. And that's where you got to use some discernment and some wisdom and go, but you know, Joe Schmo over there, I, I'm going to talk to him and I'm going to find a way to get him and this person together because I think they're going to connect and I think he can have an influence on this guy. Hey, let's do that, you know? Let's be, let's, be, uh, let's be shrewd and let's be wise. Uh, one, one last thing. Don't sell yourself short. Um, that's my first bell, so I'm about, I'm about to wrap this up, I promise. Um, don't sell yourself short. You remember when uh, God showed up to Gideon? And Gideon's out there, he's basically hiding in a wine press. You know, there's a, it's kind of down in the ground, and he's in there. Uh, there's that one funny YouTube video, I've got to be honest, where there's a girl trying to crush grapes in a little barrel. She loses her balance. Anyway, um, she, uh, her, <laughs> it was something else. But I, I picture Gideon doing that. He's in this big hole, and it's like he's hiding from the Midianites. And, and this angel of the Lord shows up and basically is like, greetings, oh mighty warrior. And <laughs> you're looking at Gideon down in this wine press trying to keep himself, you know, hidden. You're thinking, you, you accidentally showed up to the wrong person, angel, right? <laughs> you were supposed to get that other guy down the road that's putting his battle armor on or something. You know, this, this is not the guy. But he was the guy. He was the guy all along. And maybe at that moment, he didn't see it. But God did. And sometimes, sometimes we forget this, that not only are, to, are we to believe in God, but evidently, God believes in us. I mean, what, 
what was his plan to save the world? First and foremost, no question about it, Jesus. But there are billions of people that aren't going to know about Jesus and what he did unless Christ's church does what God believes they can do. And unless everybody realizes that whatever my talents are, whatever my skills are, whatever it is, I got friends, I got people, in my, I got classmates, I got co I've got people I can influence, and, and I've got people that, that I can make a difference in their life, like an eternal difference in their life. And I've got to stop selling myself short. I can do this. Maybe if we get that, that'll just, that'll just obliterate all those fears. Um, as we close, one of the things I like to, I like to tell people, it's, it's kind of a, a little shorthand way of, of um, telling the gospel, but it's, it's, no, it's no secret that on the day that Jesus died, he took a man's place, literally took a man's place, Barabbas, right? I mean, that was the guy that should have been crucified, not Jesus, but he gets off the hook. Jesus essentially, I mean, he, he literally takes his place. And the gospel, that's where, we, that's where we started. The gospel is that Jesus took everybody's place that day. Everybody. You, me, all, everyone. Every, and if people, if people can make that connection. I think about Paul. He, he goes, um, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live... Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live by faith in the Son of God, I live. And what does he say there about Jesus? He says, for Jesus who gave, who loved me and gave himself for me. And what I love about that little Galatians 2.20 is that it's personal. Paul didn't say, who gave himself for us, right? Who loved us. No, he's like, I, it was me, all right? Whatever it might be, it's true for everybody else, but Paul made it personal. And I think as soon as people make it personal and they see it as Jesus took my place, that, that will go a long way. And bringing them to Christ. And it may be something tonight that you needed to hear personally. Maybe you're visiting or your, your faith. It's, it's waxed and waned, cold. And you're like, I need prayers of forgiveness. I need, I need prayers of encouragement. If we, can, if we can accommodate anyone or help anyone this evening in any way, come now together we stand and sing.